That good? Wonderful, marvelous. Good news is there's no telephone poles down and we have power tonight. That's good, right? <laughs> well, I'm glad for you. If you have your Bibles with you, open up to the book of Deuteronomy. We find ourselves in the middle of, well, not quite in the middle, but in the midst of Moses' second sermon, his second uh, uh, speech, and this speech centers on remembrance, just so you might remember what we're talking about. It began in chapter 5. In chapter 5, the focus was remember the law. Chapter 6, the focus was remember to teach the law to your children. Chapter 6 goes on to, or chapter 7 goes on to tell them remember to possess the land. Chapter 8 lays out for them to remember God's work in your past, what God has done for you. And then we find ourselves in chapter 9 tonight, which is remember your failures. In chapter 10, remember God's mercy. All these things, remember, Moses is laying out. This is final words. So you have arguably the greatest figure in terms of the nation of Israel to have ever been or, or come along revered greatly even today in Israel and here he is on his last uh, moments before he goes home to be with the Lord and he says here's the things you need to remember here's the things you need to apply here's the things you need to hold on to in chapter 9 he begins so often he begins throughout the book of Deuteronomy with this phrase hear O Israel the scripture lays out for us that faith comes how? Hearing. By hearing. Hearing what? The word. the word of God. And here we have God's word for the nation of Israel, and he begins with, hear. Hear, O Israel. There's a little difference than the, than the concept of, of listening and hearing. If you have children, you know the difference. You've seen that stare in your children's eyes as you try, maybe you're giving them a lecture on something. And you see the clouds floating across their eyes. They're not listening. They're not, they're not, they're, they, they, or they might be listening, they might be hearing the words coming out of your mouth, but they're not receiving. The concept here, hero Israel, is apply this. Hear what I'm saying and make it a part of your life. Hero Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today. Now the phrase used there for the word today is the word... Uh, Yom, it just means we're getting ready. It doesn't mean today we're going across the Jordan the way it was translated. What it means is, here we are on the brink, it's time to go. Now, it's not that day, it's going to be about 40 days from now, but he's saying, here we are, that's the next thing that's going to occur. We're going to cross the Jordan, you're going to enter into the promised land. All these years of wandering in the wilderness are going to find their culmination and you need to hear what I have to say so that you're ready. So that you're ready for what you're about to receive. He says you're going to go in and dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves. Cities great and fortified to heaven. A people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you've heard it said. Who can stand before the descendants of Anak? He's using their own words. In Kadesh Barnea, the people said, Oh, we can't go into the land because they're great and mighty and fortified to the heavens. 
So Moses is using their very same words that their fathers had said. Now this is the next generation, their children. And he's saying, listen, God's sending you in and don't forget about the challenges that lie before you. For each one of us, often I've heard people say, you know, I, I, I came to know Christ. I put my faith and trust in Him and life got harder. Yeah, sometimes that's how it works. Because in this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation but be of good cheer i have what overcome god is able we're going to face giants in our life aren't we just like they did we're going to face battles in our life just like they did so he's saying listen there's battles ahead and god calls us how many of you know that god calls us to do things that are impossible for us and all the time all the time there are things you think oh lord i can't do that but yet, that's the very, why does God call us to do that? So that we don't rely on our own ability, but we rely on whose? God's ability. We put our, our trust in Him. We press into Him. And we say, God's going to do the work. He just wants me, just like the children of Israel going across the Jordan, to put my foot in the ground. To say, this is where God's promised. These are God's promises. I'm walking in them. I'm not going to be afraid. He gave me those promises to hold on to. I'm going to hold on to those promises and walk. And receive everything that God has. So he says, listen, I don't want you guys to forget. This life has battles. And you're going to fight those battles all the way to the end, right? Did Moses ever get a day off? Nope. Never did. Battles all the way to the end. Until he came face to face with his Lord and Savior. And that's what we need to understand. In our lives, battles all the way to the end. We may live our life in the physical realm on earth. Dreaming of retirement, but there's no retirement with the Lord. There's no vacations with the Lord. There's no time where we say, you know, I'm, I'm going to go on vacation. Just take a vacation from God. Sorry, God's with you. You may take a vacation from Him, but He's not taking one from you. He's there with us wherever we go. That's what He wants us to grasp. Listen, verse 3, Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is He who goes over before you as a consuming fire. And he will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. So what's he saying? Who's doing the work? The Lord's doing the work. Who does the work in our life? The Lord does the work. It's not about our abilities. And right now Moses is going to spend several verses warning them about spiritual pride. Don't start thinking that you did this. Remember that this is God working in our life and to give God the glory that he deserves for the victories that he gives us. He says in verse 4, Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me to possess the land. Listen, it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. He says, lest you would think it's because you're so holy. God says, it doesn't have anything to do with you guys. It has everything to do with the wickedness of this people. We know that from Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, in a prophecy that God gave to Abraham about coming into the nation, he said, you are going to be slaves for how long? 400 years. You're going to be slaves for 400 years until what? The iniquity of the Amorites is fulfilled, or full. 
complete. The Amorites are the people who live in the land. Who owns the land? The scriptures told us. God said, this is my land. He is the landlord. And he gives the Amorites and the Canaanites 400 years to repent. That's a long time, right? If there's anybody here who's a landlord, you're not waiting 400 years for your next rent check. But God, (laughs) but God, he waits 400 years. And then he says, I want the children of Israel to know I'm not sending them in because they're better. I'm not sending them in because they're holy. I'm sending them in because it's time for these other guys to get out. Their sin is complete. It's time for judgment to fall on them. So he goes on and repeats that again in verse 5. It is not because of your righteousness or the righteousness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, that he may fulfill the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Watch out for spiritual pride. What's the other thing he wants them to know? It's all about God's grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. God gave it. Just like he gave it to them. A lot of times when people study the Old Testament, they get this idea that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New. That there's a God of the Old and he got saved and when Jesus came and now there's a different God. No, that the same God works through the same things, same promises, same grace, same mercy in the Old Testament as he does today in the New. And this is the point he says. Look, he goes on. And he wants them to understand. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stiff-necked people. He wants them now. He's going to rehearse for them their failures. Just in case they start thinking they're all that when they come into the land. He says, you are a stiff-necked, stubborn. If there's an opportunity for you to get into trouble you will get into trouble. If the Lord gives you enough rope, you sooner or later are going to hang yourself. Yeah. The reality is, the reality is, we're not different from them at all. We do the same stuff. We have the same struggles. So he says to them, remember, remember, Do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Literally, he says, remember this and never forget it. He wants them to to understand the, the absurdity of Israel ever supposing that the land was given to them as a reward for their righteousness. So, Moses is going to use an incident from their past, particularly the worship of the golden calf, and particularly their failure at Kadesh Barnea, to remind them, you've had failures too. When we look at uh, at Galatians chapter 6 on Sunday, we're going to see a section of scripture that talks about how we should um, handle discipline with a brother, and what our attitude or heart should be. He says, when you discipline your brother, do it in a spirit of gentleness and meekness, considering yourself, realizing just as they have fallen or failed, you have fallen or failed. 
And if you haven't, you will. So when we look to restore a brother, when we look to see a brother who's fallen in trespasses and in sin, we want to come with a heart that says, I want to restore. I want to lift you up. I want to encourage you. When they go in, they're going to, they're going to wipe out all these nations. But as they wipe out the nations, the Lord is saying, listen, because you're going to follow in their same footsteps if you don't remember. Remember the law. Remember to teach it to your children. Remember to possess all that God is giving you. Remember the failures that you've had in the past and God's mercy for the future. Remember. Now, just as the Lord brings the nation of Israel in because of the Canaanites, what's He going to do to the nation of Israel? He's going to take them out. Just like He took the Canaanites out. They're going to go to Assyria... They're going to go to Babylon. They're going to go to Roman bondage. And ultimately, they're going to cease to exist as a nation for nearly 2,000 years. Just like God did to the Canaanites before, He's going to do to the nation of Israel. And He's telling them ahead of time, here's how you can keep yourself on track. Remember. We talked about it Sunday, about the church at Ephesus, right? What did God tell the church at Ephesus? They had left their first love, so he said to them, Remember from where you have fallen. Remember what you did at the beginning. Repent and return to your first works. Return to that first love. And this is what he's laying out for the children of Israel here. Remember on the day when the children of Israel made the decision when God said to them, you know, you guys are so messed up. Go have the land. I'm not going with you. Remember what they said? We don't want it if you're not there. That's love, right? We want you, Lord, more than we want the land. That's what they said. And that's what they meant. But there comes a time where that, that first love, that fervor, that zeal wanes. And people in the church begin to cry out for revival. What's that revival all about? Igniting that flame again. Restoring that lost love. Enjoying the Lord like we did in the beginning. This is what God's saying here to the children of Israel. Listen, guys, remember and never forget that you failed too, that you fail. Also in verse 8, in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Now remember, when we read Horeb, Horeb is Sinai. Okay? Mount Sinai. So we're at the giving of the law. Remember the mountain burning with fire? The giving of the law. The Lord speaking the Ten Commandments. Moses going up to receive from the Lord because the people were afraid and he stayed with them for 40 days. He's going to give us that account right here. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. And when I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights and neither ate bread nor drank water. I like that. You know what it says? All Moses needed was the Lord. When he was in God's presence, it wasn't about food. It wasn't about drink. Everything he had, everything he needed, he had in the presence of God. You see the heart 
of, of Moses in that place. Not, he's not trying to say, I'm holy, I'm righteous because I fasted for 40 days. He's saying, man, when I was with the Lord, I didn't eat or drink. I just had him, man, that was it. That's, that's all I needed. That's all I wanted. So that's the point that he's laying out. Hey, 40 days, 40 nights. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. What's God's handwriting like? I don't know. Yeah, I bet they read I could read it. They could read it. What's it? One day, should they ever find the ark, we'll know. If they can ever open up, lift the mercy seat and look inside to the Ten Commandments. Written by the finger of God. Here it is. Written by the finger of God. Two tablets of stone. And on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. And the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. They break the first commandment, the second commandment, and the seventh commandment. Shall worship the the Lord your God and Him only. You shall make no graven image. You shall not commit adultery. And all three of those things are occurring there in the camp. All three of those things are are happening in that place. And he says to, to Moses, get down there. Get down there. They're failing. They're falling. And so he goes on and he says to them, Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people and indeed they are stiff-necked people. There's that phrase again. Stubborn. What's he saying? That the heart of man is only to do evil continually. Just what was true then is true today. Stiff-necked people. There's something, there's some disease, there's some poison within man that causes man to sin, to do wrong. The Bible calls it the sin nature. It's this ugliness inside of man. It doesn't matter where you go. You can go to the Holy Land and you still have craziness going on there because of the evil in man's heart. God's saying they're stiff-necked. There's a problem in their heart. I can give them the word, and this is good, and this is right, and this is holy. Do this. But the strength to do it only occurs when there's a change on the inside. You're stiff-necked. You're bent toward sin. You're bent toward doing this evil. And so he says to them, Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven and I will make of you a nation mightier mightier and greater than they. You remember when that conversation took place? We studied about it, (coughs) excuse me, in in the book of Exodus. What do we see? We see God saying to Moses, hey Mo, I'll wipe all these guys out and start over with you. Yeah, it's a good thing he didn't say it to us because many of us would have said that. But what did Moses do? Listen, don't miss this. Don't miss us, and here's why. The book of Deuteronomy is going to tell us, Moses is going to say to the children of Israel, there's a time coming when a prophet like me is going to come to you. 
and you want to obey the words that he says. You want to do the things that he does. Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking about the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the Prince, the King who is to come, Jesus Christ. Moses becomes a picture of Christ. So when the Lord says to Moses, hey, I'll wipe him out and start over, what did Moses say? No, if you're going to wipe him out, wipe me out too. If you're going to remove them from the Lamb's book of life, take my name out of the book of life. He intercedes for the people. For the same people who hated him. For the same people that despised him. For the same people that rejected him. For the same people that wouldn't listen to nothing he said. Moses interceded for them. He prayed for them. And he didn't just pray, you know, Lord, help these people get unscrewed up. That's not what he did. He's going he's to describe the prayer that he had. Listen. So I turned and came down from the mountain, the mountain that burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. And I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. He gives them an object lesson. What had they done? Broke the law. What did he do? Broke the law. What did the law require? There was only one punishment at that point. The soul that sins shall die. One punishment, one thing to occur. Moses breaks the, the law as an example of what they'd done when he came down. And then look what he says. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first, 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you had committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. You, you understand what, when it says Moses prayed for the people, he set aside everything in his life and prayed for the people. He set aside food and drink. He set aside his own personal needs. He set aside everything because he understood. The people, they might not have understood what was at stake, but Moses understood. Their eternal souls are at stake. And his heart was so burdened for his people that his, his focus was only on praying for them. Was only on seeing their lives changed. Look what it says in verse 19. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you. Now, we would just read over that. Oh, I was afraid. What it means is extremely and utterly terrified. Not just, oh, I, I was afraid. It was like, man... I, Moses is saying, I was freaking out because I understand what the, the concept of spending eternity outside of the presence of Almighty God. And it terrified him for his people to the point that for 40 days and 40 nights he didn't eat, he didn't drink, he just prayed. Prayed for the people. Interceding for the people. I was greatly afraid. I was afraid of the hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. 
And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at that same time. And I took your sin. That reminds you of somebody else? And I took your sin. I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and I burned it with fire. Fire in the scripture always speaks of judgment. Where was sin judged? On the cross of Christ. Sin was judged. He took our sin. He ground it, burned it, and took it away. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us. You notice you can go east forever, right? If you go north, there comes a time when you start going south. Right? You go north over to North Pole, what happens? Now I'm going south. But if I go east, that way. I can go east forever and never be going west. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgression from us. What's he say? I crushed it and ground it very small until it was as fine as dust. Then I threw its dust in the brook that descended from the mountain. What he doesn't tell us is, and I made the people drink some of that water. Because they need to realize what they've done. But did the people have to pay the price for their sin? Because Moses took it away. That picture. That picture of what God does. And then he goes on. Also, at Taborah. Taborah, Numbers chapter 11. What happened to Taborah? Well, you know, everywhere, basically, the next several examples, you could say, the children of Israel complained, and you'd be right. Now, how's that different from us? I find myself waking up some mornings just complaining as my head comes off a pillow. Complain, 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 go about it, complain, complain, complain. I'm just like them. At Terabah, they complained. What did they say? God doesn't love me. You ever felt that way before? God's not able to save us. And so the Lord sent a burning fire, and it consumed some on the outside of the camp. Terabah means the burning. It was a place where the fire of God came in and, and burned some of the people. And then Massah, and Massah, Massah means tempting. Massah, again, they tempted the Lord. You don't love us. You're not able You're not able to save. You're not able to keep us. You're not able to do what you say you can do. And at Kibrath Hata'aba, you provoke the Lord to wrath. That's the graves of craving. You remember? Oh, I'm so sick of manna. I wish I could eat some quail. So they ate quail, but it didn't satisfy. The graves of craving. They died with a meat in their teeth because they were allowing their lust to drive everything that they did. But one of the things you'll notice about these things is they all seem to stumble in that same area. Listen, likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, go up and possess the land which I have given you, and you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. Being stiff-necked, being hard-hearted is always going to start with unbelief and disobedience. 
Unbelief. What was their unbelief? We don't believe God loves us. How many times did they say, why have you brought us out here to kill us in the land? What were they really saying? I don't believe God loves me. When the Bible talks about the sin of unbelief, it's the unbelief that it's talking about. First, unbelief that God loves us. Second, unbelief that God is able to save. When they turned away at Kadesh Barnea, what were they saying? God doesn't love us and you, God, are not able to do what you said you could do. Right? That's what we come down to. What, did, what were they saying at Terabah? What were they saying at, at Massah? What were they saying at the places where they complained? You don't love us and you're not able. We're thirsty. You don't love us. You haven't given us anything to drink. You're not able to satisfy our thirst. That's what the sin of unbelief. That's what it occurs. That's where it occurs. Unbelief and disobedience. Disobedience follows right behind it. If I don't believe God loves me, if I don't believe God's able, then I'm not going to do what God tells me to do. I'm not going to obey God's word. That was the struggle that they had. That is the struggle that we have. They didn't believe God loved them and that he was able to deliver. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. That's a long time. That's Moses talking. Moses knew him way back in Egypt. From the day I knew you, this is how you have been. From the day I have known myself, that's how I am. That's how I am. Same struggles they have, I have. When I take my eyes off of Jesus, just like Peter did walking on the water, I lose sight of the love of God. I lose sight of God's ability to carry me through whatever situation I'm in, and I sink in despair. But if I keep my eyes on Jesus, I see the love of God. I see God's ability to deliver. And I, like Peter, can walk on a water. I can do the impossible. Because with Christ, all things are possible. But that's where we must keep our eyes. We must remember how we have fallen in return. Verse 25. So, thus I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. You hear the angst in in Moses' voice as he's saying, Man, I, I, I didn't eat. I didn't drink. I laid on the floor. I lay down. I made myself prostrate. To be prostrate before the Lord, it's it's another term for worship, by the way. And I, I, I just sat there praying for you. Because I, because God said He was going to destroy you. Man, that's that's a burden, by the way, for the lost. That's a burden for those who are perishing. It just won't let go of us. It it it, it won't go to to bed at night and if you have family or children or people that you care about that are in that situation lost without the lord you know it still 
Because every time, every celebration at church, every rejoicing at all that God's done has also got this little piece of bittersweet feeling in your gut that says, and my brother's not saved. If Jesus comes back today, my brother's not saved. If he was to, if my, if, if my brother was to perish today, he doesn't know the Lord. Does that drive you where it drove Moses? He didn't call him and send him tracks. He didn't argue with him. What did he do? Prayed. It wasn't his last line of defense. It was his first line. It wasn't after he tried everything else. It was the first place he went. Oh, Lord. You are able. You love my brother more than I can love my brother. And you're able to save from the gutter to the uttermost. That's where Moses went first. That's where we should go, lifting up those whom we love. What's he say? He's laboring here in prayer. Therefore I prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance, which you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or their sin. Lest the land from which you brought us should say, Because the Lord was not able to bring them to this land, which he had promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. You hear what he's saying? Don't let the people say that you didn't love them and that you weren't able. Did he go to the Lord and say, oh, because the people had tried to come up with some redeeming point for the people? No, he didn't. What did he, he laid the people down on the grace and mercy and the power and ability of God to save. He laid it down with him. Who draws people to the Lord? God does. Who saves? God does. Who does the work? The Lord does. That's where Moses went. Lord do the work. God, bring them people to you. Redeem. And the Lord's going to answer his prayer. The Lord's going to answer his prayer. One of the great interceding prayers you're going to find in the scripture. Abraham's, Moses, and Paul. Who said, I would rather be accursed than to see my people perish. In essence, Paul says, send me to hell if you'll save them. And it wasn't just uh, uh, something he was saying. It was something that Paul meant. It was something that, that Moses means. He doesn't tell them that the people have some kind of merit. He just lays them down based on God's grace, God's mercy, and God's ability to save. He puts it all in God's hands. And he prays. Did it make a difference? Do you ever feel like, why do we pray anyway? What's the praying all about? Why do we bother? God's going to do what he wants anyway, right? 
I don't know, man. All I know is when I read the Word of God, I see God's people praying and things happening. I see Peter locked up in prison and God's people having a prayer meeting and Peter getting loose. Would Peter have got loose anyway? I don't know. How'd the story go? The people prayed. God heard the prayer. God moved. God changed. God, God, God brought Peter home safe. The Bible says that the righteous... The prayers of a righteous man, what? Availeth much. There's value to the prayer. There's value to that attitude in our life. And that's what he's laying out for us here. Hey, don't let them say that, that you weren't able or that you hated them. For he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people, your inheritance. You brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. And at that time, the Lord said to me, Hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. That's kind of cool. Who broke them? Moses. So what God say? You go make some more. Yeah. In essence, right? God said, hey, Mo, I'm going to make some more and I'm going to write them with my finger. But you're going to go cut them. He made, he made Moses a part of the process, a part of what was taking place. Remember God's mercy. You broke them, now you help me. You do the work. Two tablets of stone lay the first, and come up to me on the mountain, and make yourself an ark of wood. Listen, a lot of people, when they think about the ark of the covenant, they think about that thing Indiana Jones found. Right? This, this box, inlaid box with gold, and on top of it, two cherubim facing each other on the top. And they call that whole thing the Ark of the Covenant. That's not right. The Ark of the Covenant is the box. The top of the Ark of the Covenant is called the mercy seat. So here the Lord is saying, and it's such a beautiful picture. They took the Ten Commandments and they put them in that box. And that box sat in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle... And God from in, in, in heaven, from his throne, looked down and saw what? The Ten Commandments and the people's failure in this box. But what was on top of it? The mercy seat where the blood goes. And you know that Paul said Jesus Christ has become our mercy seat. The blood of Jesus Christ covers us from all our sin. All our failure is covered That's why we put our faith and trust in Him. We are saved. Here God is saying to Moses, Hey Moses, put them in the box. Put them in the ark. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. And you will put them in the ark. Listen, what's God saying? Get back to the Word. Get back to the Word. You fell. You messed up. You broke it. But the Lord says, get back to the Word. The Word of God, it matters. The the Word written with God's own hand. See, God's written Word is always going to be our starting point for our walk with Him. It's always going to be the starting point. The Word of God. God said, I have exalted... My word above all my name. That's pretty exalted, by the way. 
I have exalted my word above all my name. His biggest beef with his people is that they wouldn't believe his word. I said, I'll give you the land. Oh, we're not going to go. We're afraid. You don't believe me. That's unbelief. Lack of faith. God's problem with us is the same way when we face things in our life and we struggle just like them at our Kadesh Barnea. We look at our giants, we look at our issues in our life and we say, I can't do it, I can't do it. God says, you read the promises in my word? All things, all things are possible, right? Through Jesus Christ. He, he wants us to hold on to His Word as that most vital thing that we need. When Josiah, a king in Israel that we'll study in a week or two when we get to 2 Kings, when we, when we get to Josiah, he starts a revival. Do you know how his revival begins? With the Word of God. Josiah stumbles upon the Word of God. The Word of God had been out of the children of Israel's ears and out of their eyes, and he stumbles upon it, and he finds these scrolls. And what's this? And he reads it. And arguably the greatest revival in the nation of Israel's history occurs. Because he didn't just read it. It became a part of him. And it became a part of him. He believed God loves me. He believed God was able and he obeyed. He did what God said to do. The nation of Israel was turned around because of the revival of God's word in their life. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first, went up to the mountain having the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets according to the first writing. Did anything change? Did he revise the Ten Commandments? Okay, since you guys broke those, let me change the Ten Commandments. We'll make this a little bit easier. No, same ten. The same things that he wrote before. He wrote on the tablets according to the first writing. The Ten Commandments which the Lord had spoken to you in the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them to me. Now, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that the children of Israel, when they made the golden calf, understood what they were doing. Don't forget... That God's presence, the cloud, the fire, descended on Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai turns into lightning and thundering and a dark cloud. And the voice of God comes off of Mount Sinai and reads to the people the Ten Commandments. They heard them all from the voice of God. And then they said, Moses, we're kind of freaking out. You go up and talk to God and come back and tell us what he said. And that's when they made the golden calf. Moses was gone for 40 days and 40 nights. They weren't interested in being in God's presence like that. And so as they withdrew, they fell. The same thing will occur with us. He says, listen, I made it. God wrote it. He spoke it. Then I turned and came down the mountain and put the tablet in the ark which I had made. And there they are, just as the Lord commanded me. You can hear Moses. You can almost see Moses pointing. There's the ark. Ten commandments in there. Written by the finger of God. There's the ark. There's the place. 
Then there's this parenthetical series of verses that kind of tells us what's going on around them at the time. It says, Now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of Bene Jaakon to Moserah, where Aaron had died and where he was buried, and Eliezer his son ministered as a priest in his stead. And from there they journeyed to Gadgoda, and from Gadgoda to Jotbatha, and the land of, of rivers of water. And at that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi. Listen to this. The Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to minister to him, and to bless his name to this day. God separated the tribe of Levi. Why? Because when Moses said at the, at the time of the golden calf, who will stand for the Lord? One tribe stood up. The tribe of Levi. So God said, you're going to be my priest. I'm going to give you a special job. Because you stood for me. Everybody else is just doing their own thing. But you were willing to stand. You were willing to, to come forward. So... The, the, the tribe of Levi is broken into three families. Maybe you remember the three families. The Gershonites. The Gershonites were given the job of carrying all the fabric, in essence, of the tabernacle. The, the linen fence, the, the tent that went over the top, all that. They carried all the fabric. That was their job. To put it up, take it down. They carried the fabric. The Kohathites. Their job was to carry all the, the holy materials, right? How did they carry the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, on their shoulders, right? Carried by hand. And then you have the sons of Merari. The sons of Merari, they carried all the infrastructure. All the poles, all the bars, all the, those kind of things. They carried that. It's interesting because to the Gershonites and the sons of Merari, God gave them carts. But to the Kohathites, he said, you carry it by hand. When you look at that, you need to realize not everybody has the same calling, has the same role when they follow the Lord. Sometimes the burden you have to carry is heavy and you don't get any help. You just have to carry it on your back. And this other guy over here, God gives him a big old limousine, a giant truck and trailer to haul his stuff. And what would God say? Same thing Jesus said to Peter. You come follow me and don't worry about him. Everything's not supposed to be the same. Nowhere in the pages of scripture will you see everybody being treated the same, everybody getting the same, everybody having the same. No. We all, each one of us, have a different road to walk. Not better or worse. Different. It's my walk with my Lord that He calls me on. And He doesn't want my eyes on my brother's road and wondering why his road seems easier. Because let's face it, folks, when we look at them, all we see is the good. We don't see the hard part of that. When Peter looked at John in John chapter 21, when, when he looked at John and he said, Lord, what about John? And, and the Lord said, if I want him to live until you return, what's that to you? You come and follow me. As far as I'm concerned, Peter had it easy. He was crucified. Upside down. 
John was boiled alive in oil and survived. When's the last time you got dropped in a vat of boiling Crisco? What's that feel like? What do you look like after that? How much suffering occurs after those times? Then after being boiled in oil, which is a tradition of the church, he was then sent to an island, a big old giant rock, just hanging out, where God happened to reveal to him the the apocalypsis, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Why? Because in the fellowship of suffering, we come to know him. In the fellowship of suffering... We understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us in the fellowship of suffering. We're not supposed to despise it. He says in the book of James, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's kind of hard, right? It's only hard when our eyes are on the trial. When my eyes on the Lord, when I go to to Israel, and, I, and I, one of my favorite places is the Praetorium. Not, it's not a place like it. It's the place, the stones, where Jesus bled. And, and, and in this one part of the Praetorium, there's carved this, this thing. I'll show it to you guys on the second when I show you all my pictures. But there's this, this piece that looks like a pie. And next to that is a, is a bunch of squares. And next to that is a, is a couple more circles over here. It's called the Game of Kings. It's a game that, you, that, the, that the Roman soldiers in the Praetorium would play with their prisoners. They rolled the dice, and depending on where they moved, they put a crown of thorns on the prisoner's head. Or they put a, a bag over his, his head, and they punch him and ask him to prophesy. Sound familiar? It's not a floor like it, it's the floor, it's the stones. You get to stand on those stones. You get to kneel, sing worship songs on those stones. And look at a gutter that may have flown with the blood of my Savior. When I got my eyes on that, the stuff that's going on in my life, it's amazing how it pales. Because my focus is on His suffering for me. And I believe He loves me. And he is able to deliver me. And all of a sudden, all that junk just becomes little, just becomes small. Well, this is what he's saying. This is what he wants us to understand. Even like Levi had all these different jobs, so do we. Even like Levi, look at this next verse. This next verse ought to to tattoo it on me somewhere. Listen to what it says. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brethren, for the Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. What's your portion? All the other children of Israel, they got land as their portion. Levi got God. I think they got a good deal. Is, is it, if for you, is your portion, your, your business, your riches, your house, your family, your stuff, or is your portion the Lord? Because we're called His own special people, a royal priesthood. Just like the tribe of Levi. Their portion, their inheritance was God. He goes on now and be, it continues what he, was, what he was saying. He says, And at the first time I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, 
So the Lord also heard me at that time also. And the Lord chose not to destroy you. And the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey. And that how God is? After all this craziness and, and Moses freaking out and, and praying and, and lifting up the people, then God says to Moses, Get up, brothers. Time to move on. God never leaves us in that place where our failure is. He never leaves us there. He always says, come on, get up. It's time to move on. It's time to move ahead. It's time to continue with the journey before the people that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. And then, and then Moses says this. If you didn't hear nothing else tonight, hear this. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? You ever ask that question? What do you want from me, God? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. This is what the Lord desires. This is what God wants. Fear the Lord your God. This fear is is what's known as a, a reverential fear. The focus of this fear is a heart that desires above all things to honor the Lord. This is not the fear like the great terror that we talked about in that earlier verse. This fear is reverential that says, hey, I'm, I care more about how God sees what I'm doing than how anybody else sees it. You ever wonder about that? Because there's a lot of times, man, I, I would feel God's spirit moving in me that I needed to say something to somebody and I was afraid to offend them. I had it backwards. If I offend someone else, I hope it's only because of the Word of God and not because of me. But why should I care more about that than how, I, how it looks to my Father in Heaven when I won't stand for Him? I'm like the other 11 tribes. When God said, who will stand with me? Oh, not me, Lord. It might, it might offend my brother. The fear of the Lord says... I care more about how this looks in God's eyes than how it looks in anybody else's. To walk in all His ways. God requires us to live our lives after the pattern that He has laid out for us. To walk on His road, not mine. This is my walk with God. His will. What did Jesus say in the Garden of Gatshmoneh? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Isn't that how I should be praying? Nevertheless, Lord, it's not about what I want. What do you want? I'm walking your road. You ever said that to the Lord? You ever looked around at your circumstances and the struggles that you're going through and say, Nevertheless, God, I'm walking your road. It ain't about me. I'm walking your road. Because that's what he's talking about here. To walk in all his ways. To love him. God requires us to love him. This means that the love that he expects isn't a love that, that just comes out of nowhere. It's not a love that just happens. But it's a love that comes from a decision 
to put your affection on him. You get it? A decision to put your affection on him. Oh, Lord, I'd rather be in your presence than to have that land or that Harley or that house or that job. I choose to put my affection on you, not my affection on any other thing. I choose to put my affection on you, to love the Lord your God, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. God requires us to serve Him, to see all that we do as a service unto Him, and to do all that we do as if we're doing it for Him. I used to tell the kids I coached in football all the time. You can play football for the Lord. Or you can play football for yourself. You'll find life way more rewarding when what you do is for the Lord than what you do is for yourself. You will find that you're much happier when I am whatever I am Because I do that for the Lord. I serve the Lord in whatever I do. Some people think I can only serve the Lord if if I'm a full-time minister. I can only serve the Lord if if I've got a job with the church. That has nothing to do with serving the Lord. You can have a job at a church and be a full-time minister and not serve the Lord at all. He says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Isn't that what the scripture said? Whatever you do... Do it as unto the Lord. To serve the Lord your God. To serve Him. To keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes. God requires us not only to know His Word, but to keep it. In the sense of possessing it in ourselves. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 6? Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. He wasn't talking about eating his flesh. He was talking about him being a part of us. God the Word being a part of us. You know and I know, I could take you to any school anywhere on the face of the earth and we can find a professor who knows the Word of God inside out, can quote it, and doesn't believe not a single word on the page. He'd make his whole life about studying why there's really four Isaiahs. It's amazing how dumb people can get when they get so smart. That he's got all these things figured out. He does not believe any of this. He studies it for literature. He studies it and and can't imagine how people would believe such a foolish thing. Because the word is not a part of him. It's here. But it's not here. Jesus said how we would do that. Eat. Take and eat the word of God. Make it a part of you. Make me a part of you. Don't just know about me. Don't know where I was born. You can know all the songs that say my name. You can say my name in 300 different languages. You can know everything about me. But if I'm not in you, I'm not a part of you. You got all the knowledge, but none of the reality. 
He wants us to have the reality. When he says to keep my commandments, possess them. Bring them inside. Make it a part of your life. Make it a part of your life. And it's for your good. Every command of God is given for our good. Every single one of them. They're not given so God can lord it over you or exercise his power or so that he can feel important. Every command that he gives is for our good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. Also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them and he chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples, as it is to this day. Did he choose them because they were better? No, he chose them because he chose them. His grace, the same way he chose us. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no more. Four other areas in Scripture that talks about this. What's God saying? You can only change the stiffness of your neck, your stubbornness, your hard-heartedness by circumcising your heart. Something has to happen inside of you. I can't do it to myself. God does it in me. God does a work in me. He circumcises my heart, cuts away the dead flesh, and I am born again. That's what he's talking about. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Let this inward change occur within you. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. God says, my children ought to look like me. You agree with that? My, my children ought to look like me. Unfortunately, my children get many of my habits. The good news is, when we're children of God, we should also get some of His. What are those habits? To defend the fatherless. To take care of widows. To feed the stranger. To be kind to him. That's what he says here. Therefore, love the stranger. And you will fear the Lord your God. You will serve Him. And to Him you shall hold fast and take oaths in His name. Everything about you is Him, is the Lord. You're clung to Him, holding on to Him for all your worth. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons. Now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of the heavens in multitude. God made you like the stars. 70 people went to Egypt. Estimates anywhere from 2.5 to 3 million came out. That's a pretty big number. Moses says God did that. Not because you're so righteous or so holy, but because he is so good and merciful. So, Israel, remember, 
the law of God. And remember to teach it to your children. Remember to possess everything that God has for you. Remember your failures and God's mercy. Those are the keys that Moses is laying out for him. This is how you're going to do okay. The same thing that he lays out for them, he lays out for us. This is how we're going to do okay. We'll take what God's word lays out for us and not be hearers only, but doers also. Ingest it. Make it a part of us. And allow God to do a work that he wants to do in these days. If you think God doesn't want revival today, you're crazy. How do I know God wants revival? Because the United States is cold. Not on fire. And it ain't lukewarm. It's icy cold. And God loves those people who are perishing more than you and I can. So what does he say? Who will stand with me? And when we stand, he'll give us a job. And he'll do the work. And he'll receive the glory. And it won't be about us. And nobody will remember maybe where it started or where that fire kicked from. But God will save multitude and for our time as much as we have ability he'll change our world he just sends out the call who will stand Moses says for us tonight remember what God has done and what he will do amen let's pray Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We can open your word and study your word, Father, to make, God, not just our heads bigger, but to circumcise the foreskin of our heart, that evil that is within us, that it would be controlled by your spirit. Father, that we would feed our spirit upon your word. That we wouldn't be caught in unbelief. That we would fully and completely believe you love us. I know God so loved the world that he gave. And it's never more evident than in this season. When we remember the greatest gift ever given. May we believe that you are able May we believe that we know the thoughts that you think toward us, thoughts of good and not of evil to give us a future and a hope. May we receive the promises of God and say, I believe. Even when the storm winds blow and the boat is sinking, I believe. And I will still believe even as the boat sinks to the depths of the sea, I will still believe. Father, equip your people to trust you with a whole heart. 
to fear you, Lord God. To serve you. To walk with you. To love you. To obey. That we realize everything that happens in our life happens for our good. Because that's what your word says. Doesn't matter how I feel, I believe. As we believe, as we trust. God, there are people perishing all around us every day that don't know you. Moses would lay on his face and 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 not eat or drink the burden that was on his heart to pray for his his people. God, give us a burden. That prayer wouldn't be the last thing we did, but the first thing we do. And that we would trust, believe, pray, obey. I want to look like my dad. I want to walk like my dad. I want to talk like my dad. I want people that look at me to see you. And if they don't, then I need to repent and return and do the things I did in the beginning. May the love of God, the choice to put all my passion on you. Do that work in us, God. Do that work in us so that we might glorify your name. Twelve men changed the world. And there are more than twelve here. May each of us choose to say, I will stand with the Lord. And may you make from us that royal priesthood, that you would give us jobs, that you would give us calling, that you would make us craftsmen to do what you have laid out before us. May we fulfill that call in our life. And above all things, may you be glorified. May your name be lifted high. We give you all the praise for what you have done and will do as we remember. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in worship. We invite you guys to to worship along with us. We're going to have a time of fellowship out in the foyer. God bless you guys. And go in peace. Please stand with me.
Father, Lord, we just thank you for the gift of your Son. Lord, the price that was paid, the blood that was shed. Lord, that we be forever with you. Lord, and uh, Lord, that we can serve you here on earth, Lord. Lord, we just thank you. And uh, Lord, we, like Isaiah say, use us, Lord. Uh, choose us. Guide us and lead us, Lord. May we surrender and be yours. Lord, go with us as we fellowship, Lord. Lord, bless our time.
In Jesus' name, amen.